You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Hello, I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And you're listening to the Australian Finance Podcast. A podcast where we talk about money, finance, investing, and all that good stuff. We're helping you invest your time and money better one podcast episode at a time. Yes, so please subscribe if you like the series. And don't forget you can find us on social media. We're on all the platforms. Kate, where can people go? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Rask Australia. That's R-A-S-K Australia. Mm -hmm. And I'm Owen Rask on Twitter or Owen Rask AU on Instagram. Beware the imitators. People like to copy us. Without further ado, let's jump in to today's episode. Kate Campbell, welcome to this special episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Every episode special around here, Owen, but welcome back. <laughs> it is, Evan. Welcome back to the show, mate. Thanks. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's... um. Thank you for having me back, as always. I love sitting down with you, too, because somehow you managed to make me talk like no tomorrow, so <laughs> buckle up for those of you listening. Oh, we always have a bit of fun, but in today's episode, as part of our summer series, where we're trying to keep it a little bit lighter and give you some entertainment and resources. Infotainment. Infotainment, as Glenn James would say, over January, we've got six books plus a few bonuses that you might want to read over the summer or... Mm-hmm during 2023 in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, Even if you're not a reader, there's some books in here that are easy to break down, including a very special one. And for those of you on the camera, you'll be able to see this. My book. Yes. Yes, it's my book, Mind Over Money. Very easy to read, very conversational. Because my other book that I'm going to recommend is not that, but it is something (laughs) that I think you need to read all the time. So, we'll get to that in a minute. But thank you so much for, yes, having my book here. It's... um, I do hope that those of you that buy it do enjoy it. It's um it's been mm. a whirlwind tour and I'm I'm really excited by it. And yeah. I hear Evan likes fan mail, so I do like fan mail, doesn't everybody? <laughs> I know you guys nice. love fan mail. I've seen your fan mail, but yes, I do like fan mail. It's nice. I'd I'd also like, you know, not just fan mail, I'd I'd like to hear, you know, negative feedback to understand why. Because the only way you get better is to understand what you haven't mm. done right or what people don't like. And that is just as good as good feedback. So if you've got a negative one, I'm happy to hear it as well because it means I get better, 
the person that running in gets better. That's that's a win, right? So the whole idea of of these things and these discussions is how to work as a unit to get better, knowing that, as I say in my book, everybody's unique, everybody's individual. So there will always be and should always be different ways of doing things. But if you can get as many inputs into your head, it'll help. Mm. Um, and I know you're very good at that. And having listened to many podcasts you've been on, not just your own one, and same with you, Kate. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you've, you've kicked us off with some deep philosophical insights, Evan. But if people are listening and wanting to read something on the book, what should they think about? So the way I would come to it, I'm going to use my headline of my second chapter, which is you are you, I am me. So the way I think about that is that you will read so many different finance books and investing books and personal finance and behavior and whatever. Why I say you are you, I am me is that you're coming to an area that everybody touches. The whole world touches some form of finance. Some people try and argue against that, but you know whether you like it or not, finance touches all of your lives. Mm. So- why I say you are you, I am me, is that your input into your life uh, will be completely different to me. You might even be similar, but still be different. Um, and that means that you need to think about, okay, what do I think? Why do I think that way? How do I view money? What does money mean to me? How is my relationships, my past, my upbringing influence my view on money? Because as soon as you can start opening your mind, it might not even be my book too. So I want to point that out there. It's not just my book because I also make it very clear. I don't necessarily have the answer, but I have paths, mm. right? I have paths because a lot of finance books will try and tell you this is the answer, ignoring the fact that you are you. Yeah. And that's what I mean by you are you, I am me. So I know what I am. I have had 25 years of running around since I was in my teens <laughs> working that out. Um, and it's really weird because not only that, this year I'm now 21 years out of school. Oh, yeah, I know. That hurts me. Any drinking oh, happening? It hurts me. So I've had lots of time to, to, to work that through. So when you're reading, when you're doing your, your thought process, it's about going, okay, that's an interesting idea. That's an interesting idea. Would that work for me? Yes, no. Some of that might, that might not. I like this idea. I don't like that idea. And as soon as you have that mindset, you can then open yourself up to a lots of things. So I know you guys talk to a lot of guys in the fire community. I know you guys talk to a lot of people in the active management community, the passive management community. In my view, all of that is actually really, really useful because the fire community, removing the RE bits, so the retire early, the financial independence part is pretty much standard across the board. Mm-hmm. Everybody's trying to achieve that. That's, 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 it's sort of part and parcel of what you're here to do. It's also about recognizing what I love with them is that a lot of people are actually probably financially independent already. They just don't realize it. And that's why I love FIRE. Active management, the reason I love active management is that was my background. I know, oh, and it's your background too, and you two still do it. It's about getting into the nitty-gritty, about enjoying the research, enjoying the understanding about what you're doing, what you're investing, how one company is better than another or what have you, making sure that you're not, and then it comes to my world, things like anchoring, things like, you know, you, you then put in holistic sort of simplifications, all those kind of things. Active management's great for that. And then passive gives you this bedrock in my view. That's the stuff you lock up. You can then go, I've got a core group of holdings, core satellite, you know, core satellite process, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter. All that fits into it. So long-winded question, <laughs> which it shouldn't have been, was that, yeah, come with an open mind because my way is not necessarily the right way. It's not the wrong way either. But I've also found... Doing this has opened my mind. And as I said, I've been doing this for a long, long time. 
and I'm still learning and I enjoy that. And as soon as you embrace it, man, it's such a good process. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And there's something to be learned, I think, from all of the books we're going to share today. And I might kick it off with one book that I read Close to the end of 2022, which was called 4,000 Weeks, Time and How to Use It by Oliver Berkman. And I, I read this while I was on holiday and I just found it a really insightful book. I love how you read things on holidays. That's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, holidays I'd is be the sleeping. best time. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes you just don't have time to really sink into a book and spend five hours reading at once. Like mm. d- Generally during the year, I don't have time to just spend five hours reading a book mm. Yes, in one go. It's it- all in fragments, half an hour in the evenings. As a person with two kids, I don't have five hours, period. But um, <laughs> that, so my question for you on it is, it's obviously quite a big book. It's quite a lot of very, very interesting in-depth concepts. Yeah, and a lot of footnotes and resources at the end. Right. Mm. So what was your big takeout? My big takeout was that you're never going to have enough time to do everything on your bucket list, on your to-do list, and you should just come to terms with that and stop letting it make you miserable and instead embrace the fact that you have a finite amount of time and then prioritize what you want to prioritize. So is it also about simplifying the amount on your list, bringing down your processes to going, this is what's going to make me happy? Is that is that how it also worked? Yeah, yeah. And just like you're not going to have time to do everything. So stop having a million things on your to-do list really. So therefore the question for you then is what have you taken off your not-to-do list? Mm. Uh, a lot of things I took off my to-do list because I realized they'd been on there for months and therefore – if it wasn't done in the last few months and nothing happened, well, is it that important to me? Probably not. Mm. So some of them I could take off. Some of them were still things I had like manual life admin that I just had to get out of the way and had to do because no one else was going to do it for me. So um, one of the things he suggests is having like a holding pen for tasks and only putting three three tasks that you're going to do and you can't put any more on your to-do list until you've ticked one of them off, and you can move something from the holding pen to the active list of three tasks. Hmm. Lovely. So is this now a new sort of philosophy way of life for you? Is yeah. That, yeah. Because I, I just always had never-ending to-do lists. And even after talking to Nir Ayal from, um, who wrote Indistractable on the podcast uh, a year or two ago, I thought that would help, but it didn't. So I kept having those endless to-do lists. So now I've like, no, it's got to stop. 2023, no more endless to-do lists. Mm. I'm just going to have like three things that this is what I'm going to do today. And once I tick them off, I can move more things into that list. I'm going to, you might not know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. So it's called 4,000 weeks. Why? Uh, He estimates that the average- Lifetime? Yeah. Based off, I think, 80-something years. Yep. And so that's how many weeks. Well, I assume that's what it was. But yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. basically said, trying to say that you've got 4,000 weeks in your life. So prioritize. Is that basically the principle? Yeah. He, he pretty much said, like, most people will never actually live just for 4,000 weeks. It'll be a bit more or a bit less. But the, uh, the title grabs your attention in the fact that you have a finite amount of time. So how are you going to use it to make you happy, to make the world better, et cetera? Mm-hmm. This is a good quote here. Kate's highlighted, for those of you that are watching the video, you- See me hold it up, but uh, Kate's highlighted a section. I love these bits because I I do dog ears and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, oh, he treats books so no. badly, and yeah. he scribbles oh, yeah. all over them with. Are, you, are you a spine breaker? Like, are you a spine breaker? Oh well, yes. Oh. I, you'd be fair to say, like I grab the book and just chuck it in everywhere. <laughs> oh. Anyway, uh, this this highlighted section says arguably time management is all life is. That's pretty telling of the yep. book. All we have is the here and now. All we have is this four thousand weeks or thereabouts. So make the most of it. I'm going to jump in there. My line is the only thing you can do with money is gain time. Yeah. Like 
money is to help you gain time. You can't buy it, but and that's a quote from from Charlie Munger and and also from Warren Buffett. But my argument is is that money gives you time, and and that's the most important thing, and that's where financial autonomy, financial independence, whatever you want to call it, comes from. Is that if you can gain time by doing what you want when you want. It's a great, it's an absolute win and it will make you so much happier. And I assume that's exactly what Oliver's trying to prove in that book too, to some extent. Although it's much more holistic and much more broad yeah. away from our industry. It's but- definitely if you want a deep and meaningful read for the summer that would give you a different way of thinking in the years, to, the year to come. Uh, what about you? Any books for us? Yeah, I'll give a recent one. Someone who appeared on the show recently. We love having authors on the show. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Dave Gow, who's, Shock horror. Who's, <laughs> who's the author of uh, Strong Money. So, a lot of people will know Dave from, uh, he's written a bit for us. He's obviously got his own blog, did the podcast as well, and also d- did some writing for um, Perla. And he's, he's got a book under the same title, Strong Money Australia, How to Gain Financial Independence, Escape the Rat Race, and Create a Life of Freedom. Now, I don't actually don't have the physical book in front of me because they're all on order. But... Uh, there is a particular part of the book where Dave shares his story. He's originally from country Victoria. He left with a mate um, about 18 years of age with $800. He went to Perth and of all things that he was doing over there, he went there for the money because he didn't know what to do and he thought, oh, well, there's great jobs over there. This was in the mining boom. Mm-hmm. And he started working in an air conditioning factory, which didn't have any air conditioning itself, which is quite, quite ironic. <laughs> and he... He saved up a bit of money and ended up getting fired from the job. Um, and I, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something to the effect of, we don't need you here anymore. And it was r- really scary for Dave because he was like, well, this is a job. This is what I'm supposed to do. But one thing that he had was an emergency fund of about 20 to 25 grand. And so what he did was he and his friend, uh, another friend that came over, is he basically took that 25 grand and took the summer off. And started to enjoy life as he would want to enjoy, like still frugally, but enjoy it. And he realized in that summer the power of financial independence. Mm. So it was a very like short glimpse into what could be if you have, as you said, to get that control back in your time, Evan. Yep. Um, and then he basically went on a path, so uh, like a, a journey from about 19, 18, 19 years of age till 28 is when he retired, retired, air quotes, financially independent. Um, for this, I mean, this, this is where that kind of the contentious part of fire, which is the retirement part. And for a lot of people, it means many different things. And as as you said before, Evan, the thing that he does now is he spends a lot of his time in nature. So he um, helps save baby turtles. He spends time, you know, going in the park, walking his dog, spending time with friends and family. And he also does things like write a book or. Um, he does blogging and still does all these things that he wants to do. He just has more choice and control. Yeah. And so the, the book itself is um, not necessarily like a curriculum. It's just more of an exploration of the key things that he went through. And I think for that, for, in an Australian context, is really interesting. And if I may, Kate, I might dive straight into my second yep. book because this actually relates to Dave's journey. So when Dave went on this journey in Australia, the only thing that he could find was Mr. Money Mustache in the US, which is, he's like the OG of fire blogging. And one the one thing that happened halfway through his journey was Pete Wargent came out with this book, uh, Get a Financial Grip. And Pete Wargent has been on the show before. He's, he's a beautiful man. Oh, uh, yeah. He's a lovely beautiful guy. Man. Yeah. He's got great hair too. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah. Um, very, very luscious beard too. You guys yes, are both does. jealous of yeah, the long oh, hair. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Pete is best known for property, but Pete actually 
was, if you think about it, it was probably one of the original fire bloggers here in Australia before it was called fire. I mean, there's been people before him, many people before him, like Peter Thornhill and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. But this book was actually the book that Dave picked up and thought, this is- What I want to do. This is exactly what I want to do. Now, Pete achieved financial independence in probably the shortest time I've ever seen it, but he had a very well-paying job, which he hated. Um, and his version of retirement is still working because he wants to. He finds meaning in helping people invest in property and do all these types of things. He lives in Noosa and he flies around the place. But this book, Get a Financial Grip, you would read this if, again, you wanted to see someone's journey from the inside, from inside their mind. And um, one of the big takeaways, because just in case you ask this question, Evan, one of the big takeaways from this book is basically how Pete's investment strategy changed through time. Mm. So like away from using just property towards using uh, index funds and what we would now have as index fund ETFs. Um, And he also talks about how his wife had the greatest influence on him, which was that when you buy a property, you buy it with the intention of never selling it. And it was that kind of long-term mindset that he adopted from there to get to financial independence and then keep growing as well. So a bit more technical than Dave's book, but I would say not overwhelming in the slightest. No, and I've read it too, and it's brilliant. Um, I know Pete very well. He and I love having online banter. Um, mm-hmm. I also get very annoyed when he sits there and posts photo about playing golf with his daughter because I just sit there and go, that is just <laughs> so frustrating. That <laughs> um, one of the things that I love about what Pete puts in there is about channeling your own journey, but also learning the stories and he loves a story pete's mm. always been a great storyteller and that's why it's a beautiful book to get your head it is a little bit more technical but it gives you options in terms of how you think about it and yeah. again you it was going to be the key theme out of it in my view is diversification is everything it's property it's index funds it's bonds it's having cash um, and it's very close to my heart because what he talks about, and you just said it again, it was the question I had to ask you, his biggest takeout is understanding time. Yeah. Right? His thing is his properties that he has are his time management of income. So mm. he's got investment properties that are paying him income constantly and as far as he's now concerned, almost forever um, because he, he probably won't sell a lot of his properties unless something forces him to do it and he talks about that. Um, but he's also open to the principal idea that if he has to slightly move his strategy around, he will. Yeah. Um, and that's what he's learned as well. So great book. Um, Pete, big fan of the show. And as you can hear, a bit of a fan as well. So Yeah. Cool. All right, uh, Evan, I think it's your turn. It is my turn. I will come back to my book in yep. a minute because I, I think we've talked about that. I actually want to go a little bit more dense, um, mm-hmm. partly because the guy's a bit of a hero for me. So for those of you that I don't have it with me, but for those of you who haven't seen it or have seen it but have been afraid, I think that's the word to go near it. It's probably on a lot of people's bookshelves, yes, the book yeah, you're about to mention. Is, it is Thinking Fast and Slow. So Daniel Carmen is, a, as I said, a bit of a hero of mine. The man's thought processes are incredible. The studies that he's done, I mean, there's a reason he's got a Nobel Prize. Mm. Um, and the, the, you know, the coining of the term loss aversion and how that all works. Why I say it, so getting back to Kate's point about what we're doing this for this part of the year and, and obviously you should be on a beach hopefully or doing something summary, is I normally with that book will flick it and where my finger stops, I'll read from there. I might go back to the start mm. of that chapter, but I'll read it from there. And I'll only read 10, 15, 20 pages because it's dense. I'm not going to hide that fact. It is quite 
dense, you need to be in a mood to read it. But it is incredible because what he proves in his studies, what he proves in that book is very much against my background of economics, which is you know, one of the best things I love to talk about is hyperbolic discounting. And why I say that's this, I'm going to mold over Kate on mm. you with my book as well, is that human beings are actually geared to the front end. And by that, I mean, we think that we should be getting everything inside a very short period of time. So human beings are more likely to think they deserve 20% per annum. But when you ask them what they think their superannuation should get per annum, they'll probably tell you it's about sort of 5 to 10%. So why does the longer-term investment have a lower return than tomorrow's investment? And it's a human nature thing. And Carmen talks about this principle, about the idea that actually we're geared towards bigger returns at the front because that is actually a physiological thing. You know, you your yield from going and hunting and gathering, in his view, is high. So if you went and actually caught your dinner, mm. right, the yield on that is high when you think about it. And so... It translates directly to, you know, we should think that. It's also why in my world and what I talk about in here is that the attraction of social media, the character of like characterization of human beings through social media is is to this principle. It's like if you do this, you can achieve this in a very short period of time in a 90-second Instagram video. And in, it's why so many people get caught out by it because it's not true. I mean, some yes, it is, sorry. Some people can do it, but not everybody. So... Thinking Fast and Slow, it's a beautiful book. It is dense. It's long. It could take you a year to read, and that is fine. But I, it's one of those things that if you've always got that in the back of your head, it'll it'll help you in so many different ways. And, yeah, I certainly talk about it in my book as well. Again, my principle, as I said at the start of this when Kate asked me the question, you know, you are you, I and me. We've also spoken about another thing the other I have in there, which is the I call it the elephant paradigm, so the kid because I've got kids. You know, what's the old adage of how do you eat an elephant? one bite at a time. My idea for the elephant paradigm is reverse it. How do you look at an elephant as a whole? How do you look at your wealth as a whole? And so Pete's book is exactly that idea, same, which is he's got his property, he's got his index funds, he's got his cash, he's got mm. his other properties, but he looks at that as his financial independence and his financial wealth. And that is one of the bigger things that I also try and talk about as well is that if you can step back and view everything as a bigger picture, it frees your mind because all of a sudden you you don't have that anxiousness. And probably back to your book, Kate, with regards to what Berkman is talking about, which is your ability to have time improves because you're not worrying about where's my money coming from? What is tomorrow going to be? Do I have enough money in my, in my bank account? Am I making enough money? Getting back to your book, Owen, about you know having that disconnect all of a sudden where you have that really, really good job and it goes bang and disappears – that all of a sudden you realize that your wealth is there and that's financial independence. That's what the fire guys would argue as well is that if you can actually step away from the current job that you have and realize that you could live off it for a reasonable period of time, 6, 12, 18 months, you're probably financially independent because in that period of time, if you do want to go back into work or start a new business like you did, you can do that. So that's that's why those two books for me, so my book and but particularly obviously looking at thinking fast and slow is, is my recommendations. A lot of the books here on the table, Evan, um, your book, Mind Over Money, Get a Financial Grip from Pete, uh, 4,000 Weeks, uh, just these books, as as well as thinking fast and slow, I feel like the headline says a lot. So when people hear that thinking fast and slow, what would be the key takeaway from that? Like I feel like that gives a hint as to yeah one of the really strong insights from the book. Yeah, and... 
he talks about that slow and fast thinking and it's the same probably actually just looking at what you've just said kate about five of four thousand weeks understanding that you need to be thinking about the long term and the short term you need to be thinking that your mind can be racing now but it needs to be slow enough to understand where time comes into it it needs to also realize that when you think fast your simplification your simplification is through the roof so heuristic simplification is through the roof because it's a natural thing to think fast right we make 35,000 decisions every day and almost all of them you don't think about which is fast thinking and it's because you've naturally learned how to decide you know why did we choose these books because we know them because we love them and it's just yeah bang what he's trying to say to you is that when you can think slowly and actually step back and go wait a minute, the reason we love Pete's book is because, and thinking slowly, you'll make a better informed decision. So that's mm. his principle. It's a whole range of things with that. Uh, that's why that's one of the greatest titles I've heard because it encapsulates so many things, encapsulates time, encapsulates thinking, wakes you up to your own biases, wakes you up to you know, being a little bit more critical. It's not probably not critical thinking. He tries not to use that term, but he does, you know, you know uses the term about actually analyzing the decisions you make um and that for someone like me is something that i adore mm. because i've always been of the belief when i was younger that yeah you know this is the way this is the thing and i wasn't critical enough thinking of things and it's not that i'm now critical of it it's now i just go oh that's an interesting thought yeah that's probably right mm. but i can also now go oh that's an interesting thought mm, actually maybe these people might have a better idea mm. and it's just just that that Second pause. It's only one second, just to go. Oh, actually, yeah, okay, that's fine. Mm. Well, yeah, no, well, that no, need to think about that a bit more. Need to do a bit more insight into that, mm. um, and it will stop you from making a mistake. Because um, yeah, fast thinking is good, but it is shortcutting. Mm. Mm. You can learn a lot just from the titles of these books alone, I reckon. <laughs> what about this one? <laughs> okay, this is a book I probably read two years ago, but I thought it was worth a mention. It's called A Hype by Gabrielle Bluestone. She was a journalist and also involved with all the research for the Netflix doco on the Firefest. Oh, and okay. she's done a lot of research into scammers, financial frauds, not always finance, but most frauds involve some form of money, I think. The, the, the title is, you know, fraud is some form of finance. For, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just think this is a important book to read as a reminder. Anything about whether you read a podcast or watch a Netflix doco, I think once a year reminding yourself that even very smart people get scammed, even very smart people fall for frauds, and it's a good way to um, maybe just check your beliefs about things because – you don't want to fall fall prey to a scam or a fraud. There's things going around all the time. You get the the texts from Commonwealth Bank, like log into your account when it's really from a, a fake number. You're going to get emails. Your data might get leaked. Um, you might put your money in an account that's uh, actually off in the Cayman Islands and belonging to a scammer. So it's a good book to – she talks about a lot – a lot about the fire first, but also lots of different scams and frauds over the last maybe five or so years. Outside of fire, what was the other most standout story? Uh, oh, you're going to push my memory here, Evan. This <laughs> <laughs> was about two years ago, but yeah. I, I did remember I liked the book. Um, Fake yeah. it till you make it. Yeah, I think she did, she d- talked about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes as yep. well, which uh, you've got a few. You've got That's a TV an show story. and a documentary and Bad Blood, the book by John Curry. And, and how many podcasts have you got off Theranos? Like I've. <laughs> like I've listened to most of them. The ABC one's probably the best one. Um, the Dropout yeah, is an yeah. incredible That's one. Good. Because again, 
what I was going to ask you the next step about this is that what's also – does she go through the idea about how people become fraudsters? Because Elizabeth Holmes is a fascinating study from the point of view that she, to this day, and she's now been not only found guilty, she's actually been sentenced to, 12, to 11 and a half years mm. in jail. She still doesn't believe that she necessarily defrauded people because she was so – involved and ended up being so mentally trapped by her principle that she didn't realize that, well, then it's to her eyes, and I don't want to sort of trivialize this, that what she was doing was fine because the principle outcome she'd already reached, which is that the diagnosis of blood samples from a pinprick would revolutionize the health of the world. So she had, a, she had an absolutely mm. audacious, brilliant goal. The thing is... The in between, the actual thing that needed to work was completely flawed, and she was clearly using money to use a flawed system that wasn't going to work. Does she go through that at all? Does she go through how you know people become fraudsters? Because I believe she does look into the backstory as well. Yeah, because I think that's people. the fascinating study is is people don't normally necessarily go out to become fraudsters. It it just sometimes evolves that way. And, and why does it evolve that way? And, and Elizabeth Holmes will be case in point. You know, let's be honest. Let's Sam. You know, Bank from Fried is probably the next story to to sort of go into. He's not on the same level as her. She had an audacious goal that she failed at. In my view, you know, FBF. You know, FBF is another thing. He's 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 just used a new world product in a very traditional way. Yeah, that's that's the answer with with SPF. Um, but that's what my question would be. If you can find a book and if hypes that, go for it. Because I think it's a fascinating thing because it is something that you've always got to have in the back of your head that fraud is something there. Some people obviously go out deliberately and we know that, but there are organizations that start with such a bang and such an incredible movement that they lose sight of what they're doing. Um, mm. Some of them get through it and, and do it well. Some of them don't. Um, mm. you know, I'm not saying, no, I'm going to step back <laughs> from the book, but I'm going to say this. So the story of somebody like you know Mark Zuckerberg and how he started Facebook, now Meta, is not about fraud, but it's about he had a very audacious idea and completely just self-absorbed into it and did not care about the carnage that came behind him in that initial four or five years. Because you've got to remember, Facebook started in 2003. So it is 20 years old this year, mm. right? 20 years old, and it's, it's now fallen out of the top 20, but until he's decided to you know sink ridiculous amounts of money into this Meta world, you know, Facebook was in the top five biggest companies on the planet in 20 years. But the first five years of his company are incredible. I mean, he was going towards people like Napster, remember? And if you can remember back in the 90s, because I can, you two might not. Um, I was young, but yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah, and so was I. But the 90s, you know, Napster was incredible. Mm. This the, 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 the file sharing idea of actually being able to share music and, you know, the rise of actually finally digitizing music and, and using that was incredible. But that was his inspiration. Was was Napster, and, and mm. that needs to be pointed out. Napster was the first pinup of, you know, internet fraud. That's what they were doing. They were mm. literally copy, you know, infringement, copywriting, pirating online for the first time. Yeah, I think it's just a good reminder heading into twenty twenty three that you, <laughs> you you're never too smart to be scammed or defrauded, yeah. and it's a good idea to look at things and question and think more slowly think before slowly. you invest in a financial product or you take someone's advice from the internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, they say the road to hell's paved with good intentions. So a lot of Bingo. Great one. Yeah. yeah. So we've got a lot of books in today's episode. Of course, we always recommend our favorites like The Psychology of Money and Just Keep Buying. I really liked reading Die With Zero last year. Um, Richest Man in Babylon for me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Any uh, any classics that you love as well? If we throw in some bonus titles here. Uh, uh, look, okay. So again, Intelligent Investor is obviously always one that you need to have as, as a backstop. To, that's to, a scary summer read, Evan. Yeah, but that's all right. Like <laughs> for again, the value investors. For the value investors, it's it's there for a good reason. Yeah. Like it really is there for for a really good reason. Um, you then, for me, I, I actually go not necessarily into books. I go into journals and I go into to things like that. Like my morning is completely absorbed by reading investment journal pieces. So I sit there and love reading, you know, expectations for this year, you know, massively just tearing through a Morgan Stanley or a Macquarie or a, <laughs> because yeah. I like it. I like to punish myself. Yeah. Um, so that would be more my thing is that if you can get your hands on some investment pieces and, and read that thought process, only caveat to this, understand they have an internal house view and that is fine. It is a way of understanding what may happen this year, but they're always wrong. And that's what I also want to point out. Hmm. Forecasting is a mugs game, but we do it constantly because we need to have some form of inverted commas certainty. And that's why I love reading them. So if you can collate them, you probably get a fairly reasonable concept of what 2023 will be. And, and look, from my economics point of view and my background in, in you know strategy, this year is going to be interesting. I'm not, and you're going to learn a lot. That is a good thing. It will be tough, but it's going to be a good thing to learn what will happen this year. Because in my view, all that's happened is that we basically backtracked what 2020 was supposed to be. 2020 was supposed to be the recession, was supposed to be the you know the scorched earth scenario, not scorched earth, but really tough period. And governments and central banks did the right thing, was to say, no, the problem right now is this health crisis that we've got with COVID, but they've just basically prolonged it to now. And mm -hmm. so- what probably should have happened financially in 2020 and start of 2021 will probably have been end of last year, 2022, and you know most of 2023. Mm. Catch, and I say it again, we've talked about this, it will end. Time will heal all. Um, and the time longer period, if you think about 2025, 26, 27, 28, this is going to just be another blip this year in terms of the longer term process. Mm. Yeah. I think that you mentioned, you touched on something there, which is pretty important for people that want to learn about investing and about yourself is understanding you can look i think there are two ways to learn about investing really quickly and one is through theory and the other is through application and so a lot of the books give you theories and stories but the application is also very important a lot of people leave that so like students and for for example younger people that put off the application part they think well i don't have money i um, I'm not ready. I haven't learned enough. Well, sometimes you've got to learn through doing. Mm -hmm. And so blending reading books, listening to podcasts with actually doing it is what will give you the most empowerment. Bingo. And the further on from that, because I can say this because obviously I'm under for an AFSL, but the whole principle that we've also been talking about is that that does not mean putting everything that you have Absolutely in, into not. investing. Yeah. So that is the other thing you'll learn through all of these books is, again, what I say with my money paradigm with elephants you know, what Pete says around how he diversifies, what, you know, you go through the intelligent investor and what they talk about, it's diversification. And it is not every single cent that you have. It is understanding, okay, I have 10%, 20%, 5%, whatever it happens to be that I'm ready to now start to invest and I will not need that money for 5, 10, 15 years, right? Mm -hmm. And that is the money that you can then start to learn from, which is exactly the concept. And once you learn from it and you get more confident with it, then you can add to it. Mm, for sure. like it. Awesome. Well, I guess our challenge to everyone listening this month is to pick one of these books or one of the many books we've mentioned over the four years of the show or just 
a random book from the internet, but go and borrow it from your library, find it at your local bookstore, go to the op shop, just get one of these books in your hands and have a read this month and let us know what you learn in the Rascore community. Send us a message on socials. We'd like Owen and I love reading books and we love to hear what you've learnt. So uh, yeah, make if you that have your any challenge. recommendations, let us know. And you can get in touch with Evan. Uh, you'll find him on Twitter, on Instagram. Yes, LinkedIn, all, yeah. of, all of those social all media channels. And, <laughs> and I will respond, I promise. And the InvestSmart website, you can head there as well. Basically, you can, there's so many ways to reach you. So if you do love Evan's book, he does love to hear from you. So send him a message uh, and share it with your friends. I think it's a really good book to share around because it's such a – a, a good exploration of your like your behavior, mm. which is the key thing here. That's the title of the book, Mind Over Money. So, your perfect summer read. Perfect summer read. <laughs> I, I hope so. Okay. I hope you got it. Yeah, as I said. Record that and th- yeah. that around. Thank you for, for, that, for that number. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go out and get this hype. I think that looks incredible. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, Evan, uh, thanks for taking some time to join us on the show, man. Again, thank you for always having me. I love sitting here. And as you can see, we love to talk. Yes, we, we, do, do. we do. We do, we do. And Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.